0: All right, guys, today we've got a special guest on the podcast. His name is Ryan George. So he is the author of this book right here that I'm holding up in front of you, Scared to Life tales of a good God who reveals his heart when ours is racing. And so this guy has done adventures on all seven continents in both polar circles. And so in this book, he goes into a lot of the details about some of the stuff that he's done. He's done skydiving. He's done bungee jumping on all the continents you're allowed to do it on, except for one, you know, he's done stuff at the poles, you know, he wing walks on airplanes and all that kind of stuff. But we didn't spend most of our time just basically going through all that and saying, Oh, I wonder what that was like. And I bet you were scared. We talked about his Christian faith. We talked about how most people that are scared to death to do some of the things that he's doing. Why, when he does them, he feels like it brings him closer to Jesus. I asked him if he felt like adventures and seeking out these ventures was like an idol to him. So we had an interesting conversation about that. And then about about halfway through, maybe a little bit over the halfway point of this interview, we start talking about some things that we, we definitely disagree on. And we start talking about, you know, how we are to love people in culture. He's not a guy that thinks that we should be really, as the church, be speaking into culture and pushing back in the culture war. Whereas obviously I'm vehemently for that we've spent hundreds of episodes basically equipping you guys to do just that but I want you to kind of you know listen to that part of the interview and think to yourself like how would you have reacted how would you have responded? what questions would you have asked but also realize that there were things that he said that if he and I were sitting down over a whiskey and a cigar then we would have dug into all these different things and really gone down every single rabbit trail but when you're doing a podcast when you're doing an interview like this you don't always have the capability you don't always have the time to really go into all that so if you're wondering why I didn't ask him a follow-up question when he said this or when he said that it's because we have to kind of keep the ball rolling forward. And I'd like to kind of find some ways and I wanted to find some areas where we would have some common ground and where we would come together. And then also he has some pretty good advice for you guys out there that are maybe feeling like you're not being utilized well at your church. Maybe your skill sets are, are a little bit different than the the guy on the stage with the microphone attached to his face or something like that. But a way for you to think about it to where you don't just, you know, just diminish the role that you have in what God is trying to do when people visit that church. So I enjoyed my time with him. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Ryan George, welcome to Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. It's good to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, uh, let's start in the most broad way possible, but I guess it's the most important way possible as well. So, you are a Christian, you are a believer in Christ. And so, that's going to have a lot of through points to the stuff that we're going to be talking about today, especially when we get into your book. So, give us the Spark Notes version as to kind of how you came to faith. Was it part of your upbringing or, you know, kind of what led you to be being a follower of Christ?
1: Yeah. So I, I'm probably your only guest that's ever been baptized into three different religions. <laughs> okay. I was sprinkled uh, in one religion as a baby. I was dunked as another one when I was five years old. And then I made a volitional choice to follow Jesus in my twenties and got baptized at that time. Uh, I grew up the son of a fire breathing pastor in the South, uh, went to Christian college, homeschool, Christian school, all of that. Uh, but it didn't become real to me till I left college and got married and got out on my own and and realized that some of the things that I thought were true about the Jesus I knew weren't and I I fell in love with a guy that I didn't know before instead of a uh, a guy looking to constantly beat me down and just waiting for me to fail I found one who was encouraging me to find everything he is and uh, man it wrecked me and so I've been on a journey now for 15 years with with that Jesus and uh, leading men's ministry and and my wife's on staff at our church now Uh, we just adopted a daughter so yeah a lot of a lot of cool changes happening in my life
0: Well, let me actually talk about that. And so we're going to pull off a Band-Aid for somebody at some point this (laughs) early in the show, but I've always had a little consternation around it and I haven't done enough really thinking on this to have a fully fledged opinion. So hopefully you guys give me a little bit of grace here. But when a child raises their hand to accept Christ, part of me is like, Yeah, but you, but no, it's like, that's not, that's not really happening. Like you don't even know anything. Like your brain's 20 years away from being fully developed. You have no idea what you're raising your hand to do. That's just water in there. You're just getting dunked in water. I remember when I was a kid, uh, right before my grandmother passed away of cancer, they, they baptized her, but she had already been baptized like as a teenager or a young adult or something like that. And so I had this paradigm for, quite a few years that, you know, you tried to get baptized as close to death as possible because you have sin <laughs> all over you, right? It's funny now, but at the time I was terrified. I'm like, oh right. my gosh, I'm like, there's sin all over me. And hopefully I can get to the water right before I die. Hopefully I don't die like in a car accident or get mauled by a right. grizzly bear, kind of a thing. But what are, what are your thoughts on that? Because obviously growing up with a father that was a, a preacher and all that, and and I don't mean to demean anyone that had that experience as a child or has a child that is experiencing that, but I've always just had a little bit of a struggle there.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you. I, I I struggle with that some. One of the things I'm thankful in our current church is that they vet the kids really well. They have to wait for months. They get interviewed by people who weren't there the moment when they raised their hand, right? They got cross-checked, if you will. And they look at the fruit of their life to go, hey, is has there been a change in this kid's life? Is there obvious signs that this kid is following Jesus, which I really appreciate? At the same time, I have friends who met Jesus when they were five, six, seven years old and are still in love with that Jesus. Like they, I, I don't like hard and fast rules about a lot of things in my faith. Sure. <laughs> and so sure. I'm not going to, I don't know when the age of accountability is. I think there's a whole bunch of mysteries there. What I, what I take hope and solace in is that Jesus knows and he sees our hearts. And so maybe it isn't even a raising a hand moment. I, I have had friends who gave their life to Jesus and it wasn't in an altar call. It wasn't the yeah. sinner's prayer. It was this thing changed in their heart forever. And so um, I I think that is one of the things that religion gets wrong is that we turn getting saved into walking an aisle, saying a prayer, going through certain motions. For me, it was peer pressure. You know, I was coming out of, well, when I was a baby, I didn't have a choice. But when I was a little kid, uh, we were all coming out of uh, vacation Bible school and the girl in front of me was getting baptized and there was a live sheep there and that was really cool, right? So, uh, you know, there's all kinds of things that go into it. I will say, I don't think it was real for me, but I wouldn't say it wasn't real for somebody else.
0: Yeah, and I think I think that's probably gonna be a good place to leave it as well, because I've always thought about the the fruit thing as well. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. these people go through this dramatic experience at a big church. They, they watch the rock concert. They get their TED Talk with a few Bible verses. They raise their hand. And then it's like, then that's it. There's no fruit change in their life. But I was always like, well, a five-year-old, to a degree, just sucks as a human. And so how could they like suck less as a human the next day? Like they're just, they're bad at everything, right? Because they're five. And so anyway, but we'll get off that subject because I do want to get into the book that you shared with me. Thank you so much for sending this copy my way, but it's called Scared to Life, Tales of a Good God Who Reveals His Heart When Ours Is Racing. So very unique concept. Again, I'll hold it up there for people to check it out. But very unique concept of this book. Obviously this book details a lot of adventures that you've done and gone on in your life. So there's a quote earlier in the book and it says this, so I understand why friends and strangers categorically rule out certain adventures. I have empathy when I reply that embracing my fears scare me too, to life. So obviously that's an ode <laughs> to the statement that everybody makes, like, oh, I'm scared to death. I'm scared to death to speak in public. I'm scared to death to go on that roller coaster, or whatever. But you use the phraseology of scared to life, and maybe that's common, but I had never heard that before. So mm-hmm. I guess for you. Have you always sought adventures? Is that something that you just realized one day that, that you wanted to do all these types of things? And then I guess maybe back into why you wrote the book in the first place.
1: Yeah I would say how adventure looks changed for me over the course of my life you know a kid doesn't have disposable income in american express points and the freedom to ask their boss off from school you <laughs> know it just wasn't my family uh, vacationed one time uh between kindergarten and my when i graduated in, in high school so going out and doing the things i do now going to all seven continents both polar circles climbing mountains and jumping out of planes and stuff just wasn't an option. So it looked different. So when I was a kid, it was jumping my BMX bike off a car ramp, you know, or like mm-hmm. going and sitting on the roof when my parents weren't looking or whatever. Yeah. So, but where it really started to blossom, I took my brother on a senior trip in 2006 from high school. Uh, he was homeschooled. So one of the beautiful things about homeschool is you can pick where you go on your senior trip. And I took him to New Zealand for two weeks and we jumped off of a building, an airplane, cliffs, all kinds of stuff. And I was hooked and he was like, nah, I'm going to head to the military. So we had two very different reactions to that. But as far as where the book came about was um, I actually started writing it the day that Anthony Bourdain took his life because mm-hmm. here's a guy that did different adventures in mine, but still very diverse, very global, very unique, right? Like very few Americans have done what that dude has done, but he did them without Jesus. And it lent to a specific spot. And I went, okay, now I've done this knowing Jesus, but I've like, people don't look at bungee jumping necessarily as a faith thing. I do now, but I, I didn't at the time. So I look back and say, okay, I've done. The seven continents. I've done all this stuff. Was it empty for me too? And as I went back through, and I'm going trip by trip, looking through, I was like, No, I met Jesus here. I saw the heart of God here. I experienced something about spiritual community there. And I was just kind of overwhelmed by how much I experienced God in those trips. And so um, I've been blogging about my adventures since 2006, 2007, something like that. And people would say, you should write a book. But finally, when it came together, was with with that suicide to go man, why am I still alive? Why didn't I come to that same spot? Because Solomon's right. You take any train of pleasure, whether it's an adrenaline rush, sex, you know, drugs, rock and roll, all that stuff. The end of that train is meaningless if Jesus isn't in it, right? And the the high wears off, the euphoria wears off on all the different things I do. I go out on the wings of airplanes while they're doing aerobatic maneuvers, which is awesome for, you know, a few hours. And after that, your life goes back to normal and you have bills to pay. But there's this through line of what I learned from Jesus and what I've come to expect from Jesus when I travel and do crazy things that I really wanted to share with people.
0: So there's something interesting about your book where, well, there's there's actually a quote, it's it's somewhat lengthy, but I think it kind of goes into a lot of the areas that people might automatically be like, well, this doesn't make any sense. Because that's kind of where I was at the beginning is like, how does standing on the wings of an airplane like a moron, (laughs) you know, connect to Jesus? like, you know, that's kind of where my brain went. So let me read this quote here. What I'm saying is leaning into your fear is worth it. For the record, I'm not toying with venomous snakes, playing chicken with an oncoming train, or opening the emergency exit on commercial flights. Please hear me. I'm not advocating a death wish. Don't go stand in the middle of the interstate and ask Jesus to reveal himself. He will answer, but but differently than you're hoping. (laughs) At the same time, the way of Jesus is often not safe. While he tells us over again not to fear, he keeps putting us in those places, in places that reasonably cause fear. Personally, I think that's by design. We don't need faith in Jesus when we're comfortable. We don't need to trust his sovereignty when everything's just a religious ritual. As long as we are in a relationship with an infinite being, there will be questions and doubt, discomfort, and uncertainty. So when I read that quote, Ryan, I immediately wrote in the margin, but I don't think Jesus meant risking your life by doing all these like (laughs) crazy things because you just kind of glazed over that walking on, you know, airplanes on the wings and and doing some, you know, the skydiving type things and going to the poles and you're doing things that are someone considered to be needlessly reckless with the only body that God gave you. And so now, now again, there, there are lines to all this. You're not, you know, throwing the safety precautions to the wind. You you aren't sitting there trying to kiss a rattlesnake on its mouth. Like you're not doing those things. But at the same time, as I'm reading through some of these adventures, I was like, is this really necessary? Did you not (laughs) see Jesus the last time you walked on the airplane wings? Do we have to do it again? Is that making sense? Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I get it. I also know this is wired into me and I don't know if if it's nurture or nature. My dad jumped off of all kinds of things. The first time my dad ever drove a vehicle, he put it up on two wheels. My dad's the one that taught me how to jump a bike. Um, so whether it's nature or nurture, this is how I am. And I if I don't do something that scares me every few months, uh, like something inside of me starts to tick, right? Like I need, I need to go scratch that. But at the same time, uh, in my faith life, because it's true, like if the just shall live by faith, we don't have faith when we're when we're comfortable. Then we have to have a little doubt, a little fear, or both to overcome, or else we don't need faith. So if I have I have to be expectant the same way I, I need that adrenaline rush, I need to expect the Holy Spirit to give me an uncomfortable assignment, something hard to say to somebody, a difficult conversation, maybe an apology, maybe a confession. Um, I've met a bunch of guys who could jump off an airplane but couldn't confess this sin to their pastor. Right. So which one of those is crazier? And, and I mean, the science bears out. Most of the stuff I do is safer statistically than driving your car to the airport to leave to go do it. So it's all about calculated risk. I'm always in a harness. I'm always with a professional. There's backup, there's radios, there's all that kind of stuff. Um, but some of the stuff that I don't have a net and it's actually scarier for me is the relational stuff and the spiritual stuff in my daily life. And I find it interesting that people think it's so crazy that I go out on the wings of airplanes, but not crazy that I invite someone with a different political opinion over for dinner. Right. Like to me, I think that's the bigger risk right now in our culture to go, oh, well, you voted differently than me. You have a different demagogue than me or whatever. I'm going to talk to you or I'm going to invite an uncool person out to a, a lunch or a breakfast or whatever, or sit. One of the hardest things for me, I'm an Enneagram 7. I really have a hard time sitting with pain. And I have, over the last several years, I've had buddies go through horrible divorces and want to go out and talk about it. I've been married for 22 years. I don't, I don't know that pain. And so it's uncomfortable for me to sit there. Every time I show up for that, just like every time I jump out of a plane, I am rewarded for that faith. And I get to see Jesus show up and I get to have euphoric moments Go, man, God, you, you knew what you were doing. You gave me a hard assignment and then you showed up to help me do it.
0: I think the rub might be Ryan that the consequences of the mistake of inviting someone over for a dinner that has a different world worldview from you is not that you're going to fall off the kitchen table and then another subsequent 2000 feet and then go splat on the ground. I think that's, that's the <laughs> difference for people to where it maybe doesn't make sense to their brain because they can read all the same data that you read about, oh, this is technically safer. And it's technically this, oh, the, the airplane's not going to crash. You're going to crash. But what I do know is when I'm on the ground, I'm on the ground and I can't fall out of the plane from like to my death if I'm not in the plane to begin with. So I think that that's where a lot of people are kind of coming to. See,
1: I would push back on that though, because the eternal consequences of not forgiving someone or not asking someone for forgiveness or not living out the way of Jesus in front of somebody who needs to see an exception to what they see in the news is of much more consequence than me hurting myself. I have not gotten hurt doing any of this stuff that is on my resume. Uh, And, and I don't know that that's sovereign or not lucky or not, whatever. But I think it's the stuff in my life that is of greater consequence, for instance. So I didn't want to be a dad. I took it off the table. I was married 18 years. I was on a stand-up paddleboarding expedition up in British Columbia, take the helicopter back to civilization, find out I have a daughter living in my home, right? And for the last three and a half years, I've been a dad, something I didn't want to do. The consequences of taking in someone else's child that was in a very bad spot is way bigger than anything I've ever done on an airplane and scares me more, frankly, And so I think what it is, is people, I'm trying to change the narrative. People go, oh, well, that's, that's crazy. It's like, yeah, but not following the way of Jesus has just as big a consequences. They just don't look as bad to your insurance adjuster.
0: (laughs) Don't worry. We'll get into the insurance adjuster here in a second. uh, (laughs) That was funny, but you know, I'm struck by, by hearing you, you talk about it. Do you think it's possible that in, to be fair, you could say this about anything that anybody likes. So take that with a grain of salt, everybody listening right now, but does it seem like you've made an idol out of adventure? Now, because some people say adrenaline junkie and all that. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's there's a certain guy you have in mind, and I don't think that's necessarily you when you have someone that's literally an adrenaline junkie. Those are the people that are like pushing the boundaries as right. far as they possibly can. And and they're being very, very risky uh, and, and careless with their life. I don't think that would describe you, Ryan. No. But it, when, when someone says, hey, this might be an idol of yours, what would you say to that?
1: So uh, it's funny that you say that because I've had to lay down idols a lot, but it's not... It's not the adventure itself. So the adventure is the pathway to what it is that I was looking for. So I was uh, I was abused as a child. I was bullied in, in school. One of the reasons my parents took me out of, of Christian school to homeschool me. I wasn't one of the cool kids in college. And so when I first got disposable income and started my business in the early 2000s was right when we got social media. And what adventure oh, gave me was affirmation that I'd been waiting 20 years to get, right? And so there's a whole bunch of times where I was scared out of my head, but as soon as I turned that GoPro on, I call it digital courage. Like some guys liquor up to get liquid courage. I would turn on that GoPro to get digital courage because what I wanted was the likes, comments and shares later. What I wanted was what actually happened. I'd have people in my life come up to me. This happened multiple times and say, I live my life vicariously through you. And at first I was like, yeah, that feels awesome. Especially that fifth and seventh grader who got bullied all the time. And I was like, no, 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 no. I, I want you to go live your own life. And so what happened was, is the idol was legacy. I wanted more people at my funeral than anybody. I wanted the the most amount of friends on Facebook. I wanted people to like me as adventure guy and I became a persona. So it wasn't the adventures themselves. Those were just a tool to get where I wanted to go. I could get there several different ways and I have in my life, different personas that I've taken on. Um it, it is habit forming. I mean, scientists have proven this. I mean, it's it's like sex or alcohol or some of these other things like the, the chemicals that rush through your body are very, very intense. And I can tell you like it's you do start to itch when you don't get it every once in a while. But on the other side of it, one of my adventure buddies, the guy who's trained me in a lot of whitewater stuff. He said, I need to do this every few months in my life to force me to true communion moments where I have to get right with every single person in my life, make sure I've got nothing between me and God, because if this is the day, I want clear accounts. And so what happens is we get these moments where you know, we have to get right with everybody. If I go up on the wings of that plane and I don't come home alive... I want to have left everything in good order. And so it's a great way to reorganize. It's kind of like when you get ready to move and you have to get rid of a bunch of junk in your house because you'd rather get rid of it than put it on the truck and then unpack it again. That's what these adventures do for me, particularly the big ones, um, is to, to make sure, hey, am I good with my daughter? Am I good with my wife? Am I good with my brother? You know, all the way around.
0: So let's talk about insurance adjusters. So I'm <laughs> I'm I'm uh you I'm aware of that world and some of the things they're in and the list of things that they ask you if you do uh, before they will allow you to get life insurance and all that, which makes them a good company. Mm-hmm. So this was uh, there was a quote from the book where um, this was where you had to give up your motorcycle. And so is, is your wife Crystal? I'm assuming. Yes. Yes. Okay. So uh, So I'll just read the quote here. Crystal's rationale is sound too. She explained it to me this way: when you do those other things, so she's she's talking about the, you know, jumping out of airplanes and bungee jumping and all that other stuff. You're always with a professional or an expert. If you had a motorcycle, you'd be doing it by yourself. I trust the professional. I just don't trust you. (laughs) Before you think that sounds harsh, know that I full heartedly agree with her because I remember like some guys would read that and be like, oh man, this woman is just trying to hold her man down and that type of thing, like getting rid of the motorcycle. But it's, it is wisdom because, You can blame a bunch of different people if someone dies bungee jumping, right? There are a lot of people that are responsible, not just the guy that decided to jump off the platform, right? Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people that can't be responsible, but when people wipe out on their bike, like that's when, when guys ride their bike and like, dude, I'm great on my bike. I'll never get in a wreck. I'm like, dude, you're part of the equation. There's everybody (laughs) else on the road that is in that math as well. But, but take me through what that process was like, because I think that may have been the first time where you went through. A strict process that questioned this adventurous attitude, because this life insurance company is going to be like, well, no, we're not going to cover your life if you're going to be so careless <laughs> as to own a motorcycle or do any of these other things.
1: So there's a couple of caveats since that since I wrote that book, my wife okayed a motorcycle, and I've already wrecked one. Uh, uh, that's the only adventure I've gotten hurt on. Okay. Uh, I was back. I didn't need surgery. I was back to rock climbing within six weeks. But um, yeah, so. What I like to focus on that story is how many things my wife said yes to. Like a lot of guys would go, oh, you won't let me have a motorcycle. But my wife had like three no's. She said no squirrel suit flying, uh, no motorcycle, and no uh, – I don't know if you've ever seen this jump that Travis Pastrana does, but he jumps out of an airplane without a parachute. Yeah, to so do
0: the whole uh, thing from the, the movie Point Break.
1: Yeah, basically. And so she, those are the only three things she said no to. And I was like, there is a world of things that I'm do- literally all seven continents of things that I've been doing. She was there. She was the one that photographed me surfing in the Arctic. Like, you know, she's very, very supportive. So I think one, that's there's a lesson in that, first of all, to go, hey, let's look at the things that Jesus said yes to in the world that we can do instead of the things we say no to. Let's look at the things our wives say yes to and not the things that they say no to. Because if you're like me, that list is a lot larger. But just to go through that list and go, yeah. And actually, since that book came out, I've now done all 10. So it was a list of 10 no-nos. I, I needed a motorcycle for one. I can't remember what the other one was, but I, I've done all 10 now. And uh, I got life insurance anyway. I found a, I found a company that didn't ask those questions. But I think it is, it, it's kind of cool to look at our bucket list and say, what is it that's still out there and why do you want it? Kind of going back to that uh, addiction thing you were talking about is mm-hmm. to ask yourself the question, well, why is it important to me to get my seventh continent? why is it important to me to do this? And is that something God put in me or is that the vanity in me? So I'll give you one coming up. I don't have a good God reason for it, but you can only bungee jump on six continents and I've got five. (laughs) So this year uh, here in six weeks, I'm going down to Peru to get number six. It's such a random goal, right? But what I have found is there is a difference between going bungee jumping or hiking or backpacking or racing cars and looking for Jesus while you do that. So you can say, hey, I'm going hiking today, which I'm doing tomorrow morning before work. Or I'm going to go look for Jesus in the woods while I hike. And what happens is it changes your expectancy to where you will find you. He promised those who seek me will find me. In the Old Testament, they said if you will find me if you seek with your whole heart. And so I've gone to some pretty random places and initially not for the right reasons. And Jesus said, but if you come expecting to see me, I'll show up. And I've got story way more stories are in that book uh, of where Jesus showed up and ambushed and said, you came here for this, but I wanted you here for th-. for instance, uh, a couple of years ago, I went to Nepal to do some paragliding in the Himalayas and we got there. I got to go the first day I took out a kid that we had supported growing up through a uh, ministry. And then after that, we had cloud cover the whole rest of the week. And so it was just me and Jesus every day, me and a laptop, looking at the sky going, okay, I flew all the way over here. However, 20 time zones away, 18, t- whatever it was. And, I didn't get that. So what do you want me to find here? And I've I've had that in Iceland. I've had that in the Faroe Islands. I've had that in the Arctic. Everywhere I've gone, if you go looking for Jesus, you will find it. The bonus is you get an adrenaline rush along the way, (laughs) at least in my life.
0: Gotcha. So to kind of, I want to get into some other subjects that that came up through the book, but I do want to almost put a wrap up on some of the like adventure stuff. So you say in your book that you don't have a favorite adventure. But I don't play those games, all right? Like, I don't do this whole mealy-mouth, you know, hang-on-the-fence type thing. I like left or right. I like hot or cold. I like black or white. So, if you had to literally blot out all of the adventures you've ever done, Ryan, from your memory, like literally men in black, like like you lost all the memories, but you get to keep one memory of one adventure, I need one.
1: Mm. Well, just because we came to cover the book, I'll stick with wing-walking. If I had to pick a, only one adventure to do for the rest of my life out of all the ones I've done, I would do Via Ferrata. I love Via Ferrata and it's it's booming in North America now. It's in Europe first.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm not familiar probably. with what it What is that?
1: So if you take a piece of rebar and bend it into like the shape of a staple, like a U, and then drill right. that into a mountain, the Italians uh, develop it during World War One to get up and over the Alps because they knew the Austrians were waiting in the valleys because mm. for centuries- you had to go through the valleys to move your troops, right? And I said, but what if we could take everything up and over the mountain? So they developed a system of staples that you climb mountains. So it's like rock climbing, but instead of holding on to the rock, you're just climbing rungs, right? Mm-hmm. And so I've done it in Italy where it started. I've done it Canada, U.S., different places. Um, the best one in the States is in Colorado. They've got some sick ones out there. Uh, but anyway, it's such a cool thing. You can camp one night I did it. We hung sleeping off the cliff, you know, with a portal edge. So you can do it all different ways. The biggest ones and the coolest ones are in Europe. Uh, my buddy and I are going to Slovenia next year to do some of the biggest, that 2,400 feet of elevation change in one climb. Like, so it's, it's really cool stuff. Um, and that one is really cool because it combines a lot of things. And I would say if there was a second to that, it'd be paragliding because, paragliding is so peaceful it looks dangerous like for someone on the ground it looks like skydiving but running off a mountain and just kind of floating around in the thermals like with the birds uh, it's a very transcendent experience and there's a lot of control you're very very safe in that uh so yeah i would say the of the past probably wing walking in the future would be via ferrata
0: Okay. Sounds good. Well, let's get into some other subjects that kind of came up for the book. There's a short quote that I wanted to kind of bring up. It's this brotherhood and sisterhood blossom when we ask our friends for context, for reminders, and for scripture. Accountability flowers when we ask them to check in on us. So I wanted to talk about this because I think accountability is very, very important. But Mm -hmm. one thing that I think that a lot of, especially men's ministries get wrong is you show up to the event and then they just stick you in a circle of guys that you don't know. Right? That the people that you met five seconds ago and they say, All right, talk. You know, let out all the emotions, let out all the stuff that you don't want to admit Mm -hmm. to anybody else. And it's like, Well, I haven't I don't know these people. Like, I don't know these men. I don't trust these men. We haven't done anything hard together. We haven't experienced any uh, elation or accomplishment or something like that. Mm -hmm. You're sticking me in here. But the only way that you get true accountability, Ryan, is when you have someone that you can trust. Because back Mm -hmm. in the day, whenever I was really struggling with with pornography and masturbation, this was a very, very long time ago, there was one guy in particular that I would send him an innocuous text about basketball. And (laughs) he knew, what that meant for me. That meant right. I was going to be alone at some point because I didn't want, you know, if his wife was checking messages or my wife's checking messages, you know, that would just been weird and maybe even hurtful for them to see. But it would be an innocuous basketball text. And that meant he had to stop what he was doing to pray for me because I was about to be entering into a, a zone of temptation. But mm-hmm. then the entire time that I was tempted, I would be thinking about my friend and thinking about he's going to check in tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I I need to give a good report to him. And mm-hmm. so that was something that was very, very important for me. But the only reason that worked was because I deeply trusted him and I mm-hmm. knew he was not going to violate that trust for likes on Facebook or to prove a point in an argument mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to tee you up to talk a little bit about that because you talked about brotherhood and sisterhood and how that ties in with accountability.
1: Yeah. So it, it does foster, you were talking about uh, having moments of elation or accomplishment together, that foxhole mentality. I've seen that a lot on these adventures, particularly whitewater or any of these group backpacking or any of these group dynamics where nobody it's not a good day unless everybody makes it to the end, right? Like you mm-hmm. can go down a whitewater river and have the ride of your life. But if one of your buddies dies, it's going to be one of the darkest days of your life. Right. And we've, we've done some scary stuff together. And so, yeah, that, that part is true. Like that's one of the reasons I do adventure. I go to a very adventurous church. One of my pastors flies experimental aircraft. One used to be an ice climber and whitewater paddler. One used to race motorcycles. It was a wilderness guide. I've got all these uh, spiritual mentors, a whitewater guide. Um, I am around people who have training and experiential education where they go, okay, we just did this scary thing. Now what's something back home, just what you're talking about, what's something back home that's really hard for you or uh, a, a line in the sand you've not crossed that now you know is arbitrary. You would never ask for help with this because of whatever your background is. So I would say adventure does help with that. But one of the things that I've done in starting the men's group that I have now is to reframe all of life as an adventure so I call it a spiritual adventure community to go, okay, here's what we're going to do this week. We're going to dare each other to do this in our marriage or do this with our kids or to do this in our jobs or whatever it is. And like what you are saying next week, check in on each other, but it is, it is, it does have to be earned. You can earn it really quickly on a physical adventure, a backpacking trip or whatever, or you can earn it over time. Like you said, so our Bible study almost exclusively meets outside and when it gets cold, we meet around a fire. Um, guys show up in pickup trucks. Most of them are lifted. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. I, I'm in redneck Virginia. So, and I'm, I'm one of them. So, um, yeah. So I think there is a part where you have to earn that trust, but I do think the principle of calling guys out to share those things is, is a worthy ask. I wouldn't do that the first Sunday. Like what you're saying, I wouldn't do that with strangers. I would try to connect. What we try to do is we try to connect guys in ways that we start the conversations in other places and then finally bring it around to that. One of the sayings that we have at Duke Group is uh, you don't have to pray, but you have to be prayed for. And so what you'll find over time is the prayer requests go from superficial to deeper, the more Wednesday nights that they show up, right? And the more time they spend around the fire. And some of the guys won't admit it, that whatever it is in their life, whether it's a sin or a struggle or insecurity, or whatever, they won't do that in the circle. But maybe an hour later around the fire, when I'm the only one there waiting for the colds to die down, it'll come out. And so it is an earned trust. It is not just a microwave instant, but you can push that envelope by having guys go first. So one of the phrases I live by is give others the gift of going second. So if the person up there that you respect, the adventure guy goes out on planes, says, hey, this is where I'm insecure. And this is where I'm scared. And this is what I'm afraid to do in this relationship. They go, whoa, 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 whoa. Or they go, hey, you didn't want to be a dad for 18 years. You took it off the table. And now you're leaning into this for for, on mission for this young lady. They go, okay, you've earned my trust. And so I think as leaders, for us to go first and to go deeper and to set the bar and say, hey, this is what you can expect. Um, And it doesn't all have to be met in that circle either. I see a therapist every week. I talk to my wife about really hard things. I have different mentors in my life that go to with struggles. Uh, But I think we need to have multiple environments like that. And it is earned over time.
0: Well, and Ryan, I think you bring up a fantastic point, which is just There's so much expectations of pride in men and the expectation Mm -hmm. that they, they're never going to lay their guard down because they got to keep the mask on. They got to keep you thinking that their business is absolutely going amazing, that their marriage is just as clean as their lawn or their (laughs) car or whatever. Like Mm -hmm. they've got to keep that, especially I live in in a community where there's a ton of that. There's a crazy level of depravity when you talk to pastors in our area, but you would Mm -hmm. never know it from these people because Mm -hmm. you know what? They've got the money to make the little problem go away so that they don't have to explain to people in the community that their daughter's kind of a skank. Like they've got, they've got things that they can do to take care of things and to where they don't actually have to deal with it. And so I really like the idea of being like, Hey, I'm the adventure guy. I'm the whatever guy, but here's where I struggle. That's why I try to be really honest whenever I do this show about the, the things that I'm maybe ignorant on or the things that I used to struggle with to be like, look, you think I'm something special? Because I, I talk into a microphone on a weekly basis, but I'm no different. Right, I just have different gifting, and there's different things that I would want to do. So I really appreciate you bringing it up that way. And one other point, I'll actually uh, get your feedback on this before we move on, just quickly. Men connect shoulder to shoulder; women connect right. eyeball to eyeball. Right, that is generally true. So when I say men need to accomplish something together before they circle up, the the paradigm that I have in my brain is the tribal culture where the men were going out to hunt. They weren't going to sit there and like, you know, raz each other and, you know, sit there and talk about life and all that until after they had killed the beast. And so that all happens once they're circling the beast, cleaning it up and taking it back. And then maybe later on that day, they talk about some of the things, some of the insecurities, how they tripped and fell. And we're so glad nobody saw them because, you know, that could have ruined the hunt or something like that. But talk to me a little bit more about, about men, how they really need to accomplish things together, as opposed to just assuming they can end up in that group and be just fine, just talking.
1: I don't know that I 100% agree with that because I've seen uh, part of that accomplishment is um, finding healing. So we've had a lot of guys come through my ministry that have gone through divorce, and they just need a shoulder. Like, they just need someone to listen. So it is shoulder to shoulder, right? Like, we'll sit around a fire. That's one of the reasons I love a fire because everyone's looking into a fire. They're not looking at eyeball to eyeball. Um, or we'll go on a hike. I do a lot of hiking. I call them sanity hikes. I'll say, Hey, let's go hiking. Well, you're hardly ever looking the dude in the face while you're hiking. Right. Mm -hmm. But I've had some of the most profound conversations while doing that or go on a road trip. So I live near the blue Ridge parkway and I live near the, uh, Appalachian trail. So let's go on a car trip. You're both looking at the windshield. Like I went on a motorcycle ride with a guy this weekend we're looking at the foliage on the blue Ridge Parkway, which is gorgeous. Right. And then when we break to get gas and, you know, get a Coca-Cola or whatever, now we can talk about marriage or whatever else. And so I don't know that it has to have an accomplishment as long as people feel those guys feel like they don't have to be that persona. And so I think what is in, inherent for us and what's important for us as leaders to go, Hey, I'm going to show you no persona to start with. So, so we don't have to go through that whole ritual first. Now, if there's rituals, great. And, and we do those too. We'll build a huge fire together and we'll go shooting guns together. Or we'll go ride four wheelers together. What or whatever. I mean, we, we do those things, but what I found is guys don't need that. I had a 72-year-old guy come up to me after a couple of weeks in our group, and he said, you know, I've been, I've been following Jesus my entire adult life. We're talking five decades here. He said, I've never experienced anything like what I'm experiencing here. This is amazing. We hadn't done anything at that point. We were meeting next to a wakeboarding boat in somebody's garage, but, I mean, we weren't physically going out and doing. He just felt like for the first time in his life, he didn't have to pretend. And so I think part of it is how we build those environments, right? Like, is this for show? Which I think one of those men's conferences is it's not a great place for that. I just, I wouldn't start there, you know, but starting at a local coffee shop or on the local trail, or one of the guys I used to run with Tuesdays and Thursdays, when you're running together, you're not looking each other in the eyes, man, we unbared our hearts to each other. And then we turned around and started offering that to other guys. And they were like, well, if these guys, you know, when we were both successful entrepreneurs, if we're willing to be open about the struggles in our marriage or whatever, then I can be too. And what we found is, is guys that weren't willing to share washed out. And one of the benefits of that, especially what I love, so we have guys from four different churches come to my Bible study, is we don't have to keep everybody. We don't have to chase. We'll follow up if you miss it for a while, but we just want everybody running after Jesus. And so if you're not willing to be real, if you're not willing to set aside your ego and your facade and your mask, there's plenty of churches where you can go be that you can go be I live in the south there's just in my town there's like two hundred and fifty churches in what was the phone book right mm-hmm. you you can go get cultural Christianity if you want it, but if you want to run after Jesus, this is how we're gonna do it, and you're welcome to join us and so I think there's part of the appeal there is that we just well <laughs> I hate to say we don't care we do but we we're just, we're gonna run after Jesus if you want to run with us great you know
0: i think I think the overall point is. Doing something, so no, it doesn't have to be active. Doesn't have to be killing an animal because I right, think that's right. been, you know taken way. People are way out over their skis. Like you can't be a Christian unless you you like camping or killing animals. Not necessarily <laughs> right. the truth, but I think that that's very important to realize that it's when men are doing something, even the small act of going on a run or going on a walk or staring at the fire, that does open it up for these other things. Yeah, yeah So sure. there was there was one section of the book uh, that I read and it, it struck me as odd, and I don't want to you know assume that you meaning anything that you weren't meaning. So I want to read this section here because it was in the same chapter, but it's two sections that are kind of apart. So just follow me here. Probably the same same kind of people that feel opposite of people with different skin colors, different sexual orientations, different interests and preferences, different socioeconomic realities, and different political philosophies. It's not just Westboro Baptist spewing claims about whom God is against. In the past, it's been me, and there are times when I wouldn't type or voice such uh, declarations, but my behavior demonstrated that againstness, againstness. The irony comes in a very short list of people Jesus actually stands against. And so you say this a little bit later. Atheists aren't the opposite of believers. Whether we are God's adopted children or not, we were all made in his image. Jesus isn't against any of these categories because he loves everyone. Mm-hmm. So here, here's something that I kind of struggle with, with that whole thing. I feel like a lot of people like to hide behind the, the moniker of be known what you're for, not what you're against. Uh, okay. Jesus wouldn't say anything about that because I wouldn't say anything about that. And I mean, just to be honest, atheists are literally the opposite of believers, like, because they literally don't believe in the things that a believer would believe in. And so the thing that I guess I struggle with is I see a lot of this kind of modern squishy Christian thing where it's like, Hey, we don't want to talk about abortion. We don't want to talk about uh, fundamentalist Islam. We don't want to talk about LGBTQ plus. We don't want to talk about any of those things because we want to be known for what we're for. However, if what you're for is the gospel, you have to apply that to all of the things I listed and more. And so again, I didn't want to just assume that you meant something nefarious because I doubt that you do, but I did just want to give you a little bit more uh, of a platform to explain maybe what you meant there because if guys buy this book and read it, and guys, it will be in the show notes so you can pick up a copy for yourself, that would probably strike their ears a little funny as well. So I wanted you to give us a little bit more context there.
1: Well, first of all, I'd say I hope it, I hope that it does. Um, I I just I just did a 10-week study I led my guys through on what does the Bible actually say about Christian nationalism, right? Like let's, let's study what this is about. And all of us at one point in the study got a little uncomfortable because there were parts where like, did Jesus actually say that? So I firmly do believe that atheists aren't the opposite of us. They're human beings with the same, um, the the same insecurities, the same fears, the same worries, the same goals in life. They've just found a different way to, I'm not condoning their lifestyle or their belief, what I'm saying is there's humans. And if we look at who Jesus actually spoke against, he spoke against religious frauds, people who were using the religious system. He didn't really speak a whole lot about the issues in his culture. He didn't, he had a nationalist and a traitor in his disciples. He had Matthew, the tax collector, who was a traitor in their system. And he had Simon, the zealot. And he's like, I'm not coming to fix any political systems. My kingdom is not of this world. I'm not changing the school system. He didn't change any system. He came to change the people. So at the end of his career, if you call his ministry, he changed some of the tax collectors, but he didn't change the tax system, right? He changed some of the prostitutes, but he didn't change the way that that was in the culture. Women were treated like dogs. He, he didn't change that system. He went to one of them and said, hey, don't sin anymore, but I don't condemn you either, right? So I, I think the problem is when we get into an argumentative culture, where we, we think that we have to take the gospel to beat people over the head with it that what people hear is your God will never like me. Your God will never love me. And the fact is he died for all of us. And so I, I, I'm not for the um, I'm not for abortion. I'm not for any like some of these things that, that are on your website or whatever is to go, you don't have to be for that to be for people. Because what Jesus says, yeah, Matthew, you are a traitor to your country, but I want you to follow me. And the guy who threw the first party for Jesus was someone from the other side of the political track from him right like he did he came to save israel and the whole world so he didn't join the zionist movement either so i think if we actually follow the path of jesus it's countercultural. we love as christians to talk about jesus in the temple getting out the whip and, and going after people but the fact of the matter is he never deputized his disciples to do that nobody else joined him in that or did it for him and he only did it once and actually him using a whip instead of what he could have done as the son of God showed meekness. And I think we're trying to prove the world with a bully pulpit and with fists figuratively that they need to change to our way. When I think more people, Paul wrote about this in Romans, he said, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And and I'll give you an example of this. So my adoption attorney Sat on our couch, she said, I don't understand why this adoption is. We've we've crossed every T and dotted every I, I don't understand why it's going through. The one judge said we had more documentation than he's ever seen in a case. Hmm. And I said, Sarah, I know why. Because I didn't want to be a dad. And God loves the irony of me fighting to be a dad now, because now I see his heart fighting for me, how he chased me, how he loves me, what his love can do. Three months later, that adoption attorney was on the stage at our church, getting baptized, giving her story at the podium before she got in the waters. And she said, I was hurt by the church. The church came after me before. I didn't want nothing to do with God, but I saw how much these, this couple pursued in love in a situation where I had no faith that was gonna work out, and they did. And I'm here to, get, to say that I gave my life to Christ. And now she's in a Bible study, she's serving in our church. What she saw, she was living a lifestyle different from you and me, right? Mm-hmm. But what she saw was that God's love is the greatest love I've ever seen. And it doesn't have to be squishy and emotional and pop psychology that we're not talking Brene Brown. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. but our, the most radical thing about us and the greatest adventure we have in this world is to prove to the world that Jesus loves them ferociously, no matter what they've gotten themselves into, no matter. And, and personally, I think a lot of the dysfunctions that, In abortion situations and LGBTQ situations and all these other situations are hurt people, right? Like there's trauma involved that leads to things. And we have enough sin in our own camp to worry about what the world is doing out there. Let's be that ferocious about what's going on in the church. My dad is one of the 700 Baptist pastors who've been caught molesting children. I'm more upset about that than whether or not my daughter's gonna walk into a same-sex bathroom. Like that's just not as important to me as my dad using religion to cover for his gross sins and and all the pastors around him who've done that. So what I'll say is we can speak to culture when we finish and clear all this stuff out of our house after that, Let's love well, because Jesus said that we won't be known for being correct or having the right doctrine. He didn't say, believe in me. He said, follow me. And then he said, you'll be known as one of my disciples by your love and your unity. So let's love with everything we can. And make, I'll give you another example. So there was a guy, a gay guy on my ship to Antarctica. And I was talking about my church. And he's like, you know, I don't go to church, but I would go to your church. And and we're still friends and having these conversations. He's not giving his life to Christ. He's in, still in his partnership but there is a bridge that's built there, right? I'm not going, hey, you you have a different view of sexuality than I do. But he said, if I ever went to a church, rind, I would go to yours. Why is that? Because I'm the first Christian he's met that hasn't said, you're going to hell, you're a gross, you're whatever. You know what I'm saying? There is a way to... to if, if someone came to you and said, you know what? All people who look at porn are going to hell before you met Jesus, then you may never have met Jesus. But if you said, hey, Jesus loves you and we all make mistakes and some of the things that Christians get the most bent out of shape of in the United States aren't on the list of the most deadly sins. Like all the, the lists in Proverbs, these are the things the, the, the Lord hates. Hatred is one of those. Lying is one of those. We're seeing so much hypocrisy in the church and so much lying by our leaders that I, I was like, I, I don't understand why we're critiquing culture when it's in our, the calls coming from inside the house. And so let's clear our own house out. Let's love the best way we know how. And you'll be amazed at people far from God with horrible stories and backstories how they find Jesus.
0: So just to be clear, you don't think we should push back against any of the darkness in culture until we all become squeaky clean, like perfect inside the church? Like you don't think we should speak into any of the cultural depravity at all?
1: No, I I, I think what we do... Is, there is not an example, I mean, look at the red letters of the Bible. There's not a, an example of Jesus going after the Romans, going after anybody outside of the religious establishment. So what I say is like it's not our job to to make to be a lawyer for Jesus. Like I, that's just not my job. I, I have a really hard time with hypocrites. Now we're all gonna sin, right? but here's what I've learned is to go, hey, and you did this earlier in a podcast, which I greatly appreciate. you go, hey, I struggle with porn, masturbation. That automatically brings somebody's walls down, right? To go, yeah, oh, I do that because I've been in cultures, and you have been too, in, in sports complexes and wherever else, where that's okay, right? They joke about their what oh, yeah. porn they were looking at, whatever it's out else. In the open, yeah, right, right. So when we say, no, 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 I struggle with that, and I have a problem with that, and this is what, the, and you explain this very well. Here's all the boundaries I had to build around that. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're countercultural, and we see that when um, Nicodemus came to Jesus, right? Because all the other religious leaders who are all on this cabal to kill Jesus. He comes around like, Hey, can I talk? And that happens so much with people who are completely different walks of faith from me or lack thereof, you know, an atheism, whatever is that they go, Hey, can we talk? And what you'll find is that we can make Jesus utterly attractive, not by being perfect, but not by being hypocrites, right? There's a difference between being broken and being, having sin in our life and being a hypocrite. And then you look at all the polling that Christian organizations and secular are doing about why people are leaving the church right now. It's the number one or number two answer is always hypocrites and they're trying to do political things, whatever else that one of the quotes I heard was that it's not that people don't believe in Jesus. They just don't think that the church fully believes in Jesus. And so what I, what I would want to be is do I look like Christ's example more than anybody else? I know I can't change the whole world. I can't change the systems. I can't change the racism that lives around here. My daughter's black and she will have people come up to her and say, hey, can I have a white person? Wait, on I me? Mean, I don't want you serving me. Right. And this happens multiple times. She And I want to fix the racism around her. But you know what all I can do is I can be a white dude that loves her ferociously and that she can see that my Jesus and my God is a little bit different than the redneck down the street. Right. And so what I think is that we got to take it from platforms to person to person. We have to have these conversations person to person. I have so many people in my life who will speak about, let's say the CRT issue or whatever else, but they they don't have friends on the other side of the aisle that they're sitting down with having conversations, right? Or whether it's LGBTQ or any of these other things you mentioned. It's like, where, where are you having that face-to-face encounter rather than platform to platform? Because platform to platform doesn't change lives. Most life change happens within three feet, right? It happens around a fire. And I've seen guys change their... Uh, political opinions i've seen them change their their sexual activity all that stuff not from being beat into them hey this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong but of going no, no no i fell in love with jesus and my love for jesus is greater than my love for alcohol for premarital sex for porn for whatever else if we can show that jesus is utterly attractive i i, I really think Paul is right, that it's his kindness that will lead people to repentance. We're not going to change systems, but we can change people in those systems. You change enough people in a system, the system changes. American history is filled with that. The, the Great Awakening and other times, like when we went into Prohibition, right? That wasn't because of a government movement. That was because so many people had of faith had moved toward a certain position. I'm not espousing the Prohibition Whatever, but but you see what I'm saying is so many people in culture changed that they said, "Oh no, 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 we need to. This is going to change our government." And they actually made an amendment to the constitution because so many people had believed in the biblical uh, call to not be drunk, right?
0: So uh, a lot of things there, uh, we won't be able to really unpack all of that. There, There's a struggle I think a lot of people that are listening to this are going to really go into is it seems like when you're like, okay, focus on how Jesus loves people and focus on that stuff and only look at that. It's like, hey, only look at the Lamb of God because the Lion of Judah is very, very scary. And the problem is, is whether you're doing it from a platform or whether you're doing it from three feet across from somebody— You need to let people know that their sin nature, not their mistakes, like the, we all make mistakes thing. That that doesn't mean anything. That's a bumper sticker, but like their sin is enough to separate them eternally from a loving God. And they will spend eternity in torment and torture if they don't trust in Jesus. That is the only way that they can have propitiation for their sins. And so at some point, what I feel like a lot of people do, Ryan, I'm not necessarily saying you're doing that because obviously we haven't talked about this long enough, but a lot of people would say, Hey. You know, just do whatever you want to do sexually. Jesus loves you. Hey kill your baby. It's fine. It's, it's the system around you. That's not going to come around and support you. That's totally fine. Just love Jesus. The problem is, is that Jesus did clear the temple and, and there's actually evidence that he did that twice, but let's just say he did it once. He cleared the temple. Why did he do this premeditated level of aggression? It's because people were sinning directly against the father. And if you're reading the Bible, you realize that there aren't red letters and black letters. They're all red letters because if God is, if Jesus is part of the triune God, then they're all his words, right? And people love to talk about the things that jesus say and the things that jesus didn't do but when you look at the entirety of scripture and get the entire story of scripture you know which things that we are told to do that are not moral and what things that we are are told to do that are moral and so i think that's the the clarity that people want because it's really easy to say i'm going to be known for what i'm for not what i'm against but it's the things that you teach a child like hey i'm against this action and if you do this action that's bad So, so talk to me a little bit more about that because again, I don't want to put words in your mouth and I I want us to, to to come to a better level of understanding, but I'm just, I'm not there where I'm just like, Hey, let's ignore culture until we get all of our stuff straight inside the church. I think we'll never be able to get out of that. That's just going to be a a wheel that keeps turning.
1: Yeah. Sisyphean. Right. I mean, it'd be really hard. Um, I I think one of the things that you just said that I, I very much agree with is he says that to his children. Right. And so there's not a lot that where he's preaching, um, he's calling out people who aren't following him. right? The people that Jesus said, hey, go and sin no more, all of those people were within earshot. Um, Speaking of early church history, so it used to be a practice. The way abortion used to be done before it is now is they would have the baby and then just take it outside the city gates and leave it on a stone or leave it in the forest and let it go. Exposure. Exposure, right? And I mean, that was common. It was not taboo. Everybody in culture And the Christian church in the first several centuries would go out and pick up that child and bring it in, right? And people go, wait, and they didn't get like now foster, you get some money from the government, right? There's Mm -hmm. grants for adoption, whatever else. Like they just did this in a time when they didn't have money when their lives were at risk and, and everything else. That changed the culture upside down within 300 years, what was taken as this is how culture is done, right? It went completely the other way to Christianity becoming a state religion, right? Because of the example of people. And so, what I say, it's not that we don't confront sin. I confront sin other people. People confront sin in me all the time. Uh, the people that we confront, and Matthew 18 is about this, other places, is we confront our brothers and sisters, and then we live out the gospel as best we know in front of them. And of course, we share it verbally as well. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that we hide, I'm not saying we don't watch the news, but I just don't think that, I don't think that, um, I don't think Christians dream big enough. I think they want a political solution when it's an eternal solution. I think they want some, I, they want to, and and I'm for voting what you believe and I, I vote for what I believe in as, as well. Um, but I think we can say, oh, I'm going to vote for this rather than I'm going to go make a, per- I'm going to go befriend somebody in that situation. I'm going to bring uh, an unwed mother into my home for the next eight months. Right. Or I'm going to, so I think there are ways to make a difference. And we hear stories like this all the time. Aaron judge, who just set the home run record for the
0: American league. Yes, he did. And that's a very important, not just for the American league, Ryan, for all of baseball, but that's <laughs> right. another, that's another, debate yeah. for another yeah. day.
1: but, but I'm saying from a technicality, I, yeah, I, I would agree with different things, but, but the, uh, yeah. It's like his life became, and he's a follower of Jesus, which I didn't know until it came out. And he said he grew up in a Christian home. So what happened was his life was saved by people who love Jesus. And so now here we have this guy who's got a huge platform who can talk about Jesus because people loved him. And so I, I think it's more practical than we want to make it. It's so much easier to make a tweet than it is to, to make a text and call somebody and say, Hey, can we go out and talk about this? We have a phrase at our church that we use all the time called help me understand. So someone will come to me and be like, help me understand. Like you say you follow Jesus but I'm seeing this, like what, what don't I know? Right. And so I think you can have that. And then if we give permission for unsaved people in our life to ask us, help me understand that. Right. Or if we've built up relational capital with that guy at work and go, Hey, help me understand why you said this about your wife. Like I follow Jesus and, and that, that doesn't sit well with me. And so what happens is, you can become men of honor. We can still be these courageous men. I just don't think it has to be necessarily killing an animal. I, I have friends who hunt. I'm not against hunting. But what I'm saying is, is it doesn't have to be this huge, gnarly, violent thing. Sometimes the the most crazy, adventurous, wild thing we can do for the gospel is is confront somebody but doing it in love and not being like, don't you know how messed up you are? Just go, help me understand how you got to this place. After the George Floyd uh, murder there uh, – One of my black friends said, hey, if any of you guys want to come talk about this, I'd love to sit with you. I was the only guy that showed up and I had a neighbor did the same thing. We sat in his backyard and he's like, ask me questions and I want to ask you questions. Can we do that? And my pastor brought a a black uh, pastor up onto our stage and said, hey, help us understand this. Now, we didn't it wasn't to come to the BLM side of the ledger. It was just like here's a bunch of questions we have and we need a safe space to have those questions. And I think you can have that to, with your friends who are being sexually promiscuous or whatever, just be like, how's that working out for you? Your friends who are drunk and you're like, like, Hey man, I've had to pick you up three Friday nights in a row. How's this working out? You keep telling me this is fun and this party lifestyle is awesome. How's this working out for you, man? Like you're broke all the time. Like there are different ways that we can come into it and, go, and, and do it with compassion and be like, Hey, man, I, I don't appreciate how you talk to your girlfriend in front of my wife like that. That's not appropriate. Right. Or, or whatever the topic is. So there is a way to speak truth in the culture, but I think it has to be more personal. And I think we're afraid of the work that, ha- that you have to do to do that on an interpersonal level. Um, we can debate about whether how you express opinions online, or whatever else. But I would much rather be known for how I loved people. And I, I have people who struggle with different things in their life messaging me on Facebook who have different politics than me, different sexuality than me, whatever else. Say, hey, can we meet for coffee? Because they go, hey, your Jesus is approachable. And I, I just want to have that conversation. Man, I would much rather have that conversation than never having it because I offended them online because I was posting inflammatory things. So I, I just think we have to move the movement to interpersonal and move it off of these you know, big public statements and signing documents and you know all those kind of things.
0: One thing that I might speak into that, and then I have have one question before we get you out of here for today, because I know we're running up against time, but love, I think for a lot of people, they define love too narrowly. And what Mm. they think love is, is just to co-sign everything that somebody else does so that they don't have to have the awkward conversation about, hey, what you're doing to yourself is detrimental. So you brought up the example of the guy going out and drinking and all that. Because I know this is going to be breaking news to most people. If you go out and drink a lot of times, it's usually going to lead to some deleterious kind of bad decision making on your part, waking up with somebody you didn't want to be waking up next to driving your car recklessly, like any number of things. And so some people in culture, Ryan would say that love would be to say, Hey man, I know you're struggling right now with drinking, but you know, I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. And that that would be loving. But what the loving person would do would find them to smack that bottle out of their hand and say, we're not doing that anymore, brother. You're going to the drunk tape and the drunk tape is my pool in my backyard and we're going to take care of this right now. There are a whole bunch of different levels to love and people get really, really, really offended when you want to say that, oh, your, your version of love is judgmental. Well, guess what? Jesus's version of love was judgmental as well because he drew a line in the sand between sinner and not. Because yes, he spoke about the religious establishment, but he spoke about the sinners and was very, very clear where they would end up if they didn't put their faith in him. So mm-hmm. again, that makes some people uncomfortable. I know you wouldn't co-sign with everything I just said, but I, I do want to kind of bring something out because I think that we'll, it will end here. This is a minor point of your book, but I feel like it could be almost like a major theme of the entire book. And I don't even really have a, have a question you know, prepared. I just want to kind of flow through it you might be the most happy church parking lot greeter in history ever. Because mm-hmm. how, how you describe yourself in your book is the number of conversations that you've had with people just by being a really nice, like over-the-top polite person in the parking lot and how that sets them up for the environment that they're going to be moving into. You're the first you know, person they see and potentially the last person they see before they mm-hmm. leave. And I guess why I wanted to bring that up is because we put a lot of emphasis on the person on the stage with the Mm. microphone attached to their face and their messages that they bring and how good they are and how funny they are and and the books that they write and, and all that. And that's fine. Like, I love those people as well. I'm the guy on the stage with the microphone attached to my face a lot of times as well. Like, I get it. But the people that are making the coffee, the people that are knitting blankets for the newborn babies, the the women that are holding the newborn baby so mom and dad can go to Sunday school or go into the church service and not be freaking out for two hours of their day. Right. The parking lot attendant, those types of people serve such an important role. And it's not to set. The, the stage for this event, which is church because the church isn't a place. It's, it's a body of believers. Right. But I wanted you to talk to me a little bit about that because I found that to be inspiring because I know there are people, Ryan, that feel like they are less than because they've been gifted in a way that's not exhortation. Mm-hmm. That's not preaching. That's not speaking. And they think, mm-hmm. Oh, well I'm doing one of these lesser things. It's like, no brother, you're doing exactly what God equipped you for. Go.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've been on the parking team now for 16 years. It's the environment where I've been discipled. Uh, I was backpacking with my pastor in Switzerland and I got sick. And so he's like, hey, I'll hang out with you at the hotel tonight while the other guys go on. We'll meet them around. And he said, Ryan, uh, you run an incubator. Like, look how many of the guys on your parking team have come to Christ or they just came to Christ and then looking for a first serve opportunity. Um, Marriages are getting put back together. Addictions are getting beaten. We've had people literally give their life to Christ between the cones on our asphalt, you know. This past Sunday, I had supernatural encounters happen on the asphalt that only had to be Jesus. Like, you're just like, what are the chances that this would happen? Right. And so, part of it is not just looking at it as less than, more than. I mean, I went through that early on in my ministry, but part of it is going, no, 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 this is how Jesus wired me. And so, like, if again, just like going around the world looking for him and going, let's be expectant that in the eight seconds we have to talk to somebody or the 30 seconds when they get out of their vehicle, that something sovereign is going to happen. Let's pray for that. So my buddies and I, son, this past Sunday morning, we prayed that Jesus would show up and do something amazing in our parking lot. And it happened. Like there's a guy probably coming to my Bible study for the first time last night with a bunch of pain in his life that just opened up within 45 seconds of getting out of his uh, Ford F-250 Sunday morning. So I think part of his expectancy and going, no, 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 if I can look for Jesus while I'm backpacking. I can look for Jesus while I'm changing diapers. So at our Mm -hmm. church, whenever they change a diaper, they tell the parents, right? Because they want to guard against sexual things. Mm -hmm. And then when they change a diaper, they pray for the child and they write the the prayer on the card. Like, this is what I prayed for your child while I was changing their diaper, right? Well, I've seen so many parents take a picture of that and put that on their Facebook. Like, look at what this, this person was changing my kid's diaper, praying over this specific thing in their future. And so I, I think what it is, we just bring our best selves to whatever it is. My wife is an incredible artist and she does live paintings during the service and, and uh, art and stuff. Like there have been people, it doesn't do a whole lot for me. I'm impressed because she's she's good at it, but yeah. it, like spiritually doesn't do it. But there are people who like come forward and are like holding their heart, looking at it, like, can I get that paint? Like, and people around this town have those paintings up and to remind them of what Jesus spoke to them. Uh, so I think what happens, we have to look at all of us are called to, to different things and that all of them are equal. None of the, none of the gifts, none of the list of the gifts of the spirit are ranked and none of yeah. them are, none of them yeah. are gendered either. Like they're just, Hey, here's all the gifts that everybody gets. You got at least one now go. And, and to be open to it and, and to embrace it. So for years I was like, yeah, I'm just out here in a parking lot. You know, I have a college degree. I write devotional books. I should be on stage. But then I realized I, I have as much influence as someone on stage. It just looks very different. I have people asking me to baptize them or to come to their wedding. I've, had, I've officiated now six weddings. And some of them for guys in the parking team are just like, hey. And one of them was we confronted them. They were living together. We're like, listen, you can serve in the parking team or you can live together, but you can't do both. And they're like, all right, then we'll get married. And they got married in five weeks and, and we had a parking team wedding. So <laughs> I, I, there, is a, there is a place for that for discipleship. And we re- lean into how Jesus has wired us why wouldn't beautiful things happen? That's He's the God of diversity. Uh, one of the things I keep telling people, I'm a creationist, is one of the things that pragmatism and survival of fittest and chance does not need is beauty and diversity. It doesn't need all those things. Only the strongest need to survive. Only the utilitarian needs to survive, not the beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I follow all these different Instagram accounts with beautiful birds. I've gone to all these places around the world. and am going, everything is so diverse. It doesn't have to be. And It's the same in the kingdom, right? Jesus wants all different kinds of people with different backgrounds, different interests, right? There's people I've been taking people in my church on adventures for years and nobody else is doing that. Right? Like, In other churches, like there's nobody asking you to go skydiving at most churches, right? There's nobody asking you to go UTV through the desert of Utah in most churches, right? But I've been able to have huge conversations with people, and I've seen guys who don't share at church crying in an airport as we lay hands on them, right? As he relinquishes something from his life or unbears his heart. That only happens because we embrace the diversity of a sovereign God.
0: Well, man, I really appreciate the time that you spent on the book, but also sending it out to me and the time that you spent with me today. But that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest?
1: Uh, no, man. It's easy to follow me on on Instagram. That's at Ryplane, R-Y-P-L-A-N-E. And you'll see links to all the things. I blog about this stuff. Uh, if you uh, want to see all the adventures, they're all there. I hope all the adventures point you to an adventurous God.
0: All right, Ryan George, thank you for coming on a Daunted Life of Man's podcast. Yeah, good to be here. There you go, guys. Hope you enjoyed my time with Ryan George. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with the content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So the link I've got for you today is the link to his book, Scared to Life: Tales of a Good God Who Reveals His Heart When Ours is Racing. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, you shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's INFO at Follow us on Instagram and like us on on facebook and check out our website for everything else including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way just go to www.undaunted.life and as always we want to thank the band august burns red for allowing us to use their music for our content the music on this podcast is their song cutting the tides which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album leveler the links are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah